Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. We're, we're waiting for John Larson to join us. While, while we are, are, I'd like to tell you about our newest book that's coming out, Recalculating, How 97 Plus Experts, How to Grow Your Small Business. It's coming out this September. It'll be available at ebook, in uh, uh, as a trade paperback, or as a, a re- regular book. It's an exciting one. We've we've asked uh, uh, over a hundred experts to tell us how to uh, how to uh, gr- grow our small business. Some of them you have even heard on this these programs. Yeah. Uh, uh, John, our number is 646-929-2337. Hmm. I'm glad you did. The, that's unusual. It might be pr- problems. Can you try just one more time, um, uh, and, and we'll see. If not, we will uh, can the broadcast so we can figure out what's wrong. But it should be working out because I'm up there. You got to try one more time. Well, um, I don't know if you heard that, um, uh, listeners, but we ha- we're having a problem. Let's see if uh, John can call in. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. If you desire to speak to the host, please press 1 at any time. And the host will be. Ah. You are now in the host queue. 
Hello there, John. Are you on? Hello. John, I see you're on the board, 317. John? Oh, who's ever on from 317, please give us a, a holler. Hello, Don. Yes. Can you hear me? Can you hear me, John? I, I can. Can you hear me? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yes, can. John, okay. do you hear me? I can okay. hear you. Yes. All right. All right. <clears throat> now we're just going to wait five seconds. Um, we're blank space. And then we're going to go into the interview as if nothing ever happened. Because mm -hmm. the nice thing about this is I can edit it when we finish. Okay. Now, Don, you can hear me now, right? Correct. I Hello? hear you now. You just said, John, okay, do you great. hear me? I can hear you. I hear you okay. perfectly. Repeat right, awesome. to me. One, two, three. One, two, three. <laughs> okay. All right. We're, we're no, give me five. Okay. We'll give five seconds of, of silence so I can uh, then uh, edit this thing better. Okay, great. I'm really happy today. We have with us John Larson. <clears throat> He's head of what I think is going to be one of the most fascinating uh, new products uh, around. It's called, I, I, don't, I love the name, Didge Bridge. Uh, it's for four small companies, and I'm going to let J John talk about what it is. But first, as we always do to all of our guests, we, uh, we want to ask a little bit about your personal background. John, before we go into anything else, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, a little bit about me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, originally from Pennsylvania. I was born in the uh, coal regions, uh, actually in the Scranton, uh, Pennsylvania area. And, uh, you know, after college, hooked up with the uh, Gillette Company and, uh, you know, spent about nine, uh, ten years with the Gillette Company, a number of different positions, sales, marketing, you know, a lot of relocations and so forth. Um, you know, after Gillette, I had the good fortune of uh, becoming uh, vice president general manager with Kodak, where we got involved with some pretty advanced uh, digital, you know, uh, you know, imaging, um, you know, some of the first uh, cloud, uh, cloud marketing endeavors. Actually, it wasn't really called the cloud at that time, but that's really what we did. And, uh, you know, fell in love with what we thought the future would be. Uh, which was uh, mobile devices and, and uh, how, how mobile uh, devices were going to transform uh, the world of marketing. And um, hooked up with a bunch of uh, Purdue software developers in 2007 who had a very unique specialty, coincidentally, uh, in my passion, which was, uh, which was mobile, and in particular, um, mobile video and analytics. Um, we all felt that... Uh, that marketing, advertising, you know, particularly the TV video sector was going to migrate um, to, you know, mobile handheld devices. And that is what we are on the forefront of leading uh, with DigiBridge. Oh, now will you explain what that means? 
to our I'll audience. It, here, here's a little bit of background, kind of, um, you know, problem solution. Um, in the advertising in the U.S. is about a hundred and ninety billion dollar category. Okay, and it, it's kind of coming unraveled uh, before our very eyes now. Video TV was the biggest uh, segment of that. Okay, TV videos of the 190 billion TV videos, about 75 billion. Okay, and it's worked magnificently. If you had background like mine, or maybe a lot of other people are listening now, and you work with some of these big consumer companies, you know, the Procter and Gamble, Gillette's of the world, or Kraft, or Pillsbury, or Kellogg, or you know, Coke, Pepsi, you know, you understand the power of video um, in, in terms of influencing human behavior. I mean, TV advertising worked magnificently well for, you know, the past 40 years or so. Uh, and, and consumer companies built empires largely on the back of the effectiveness of TV advertising. Because that, the human brain, back to my Kodak, you know, uh, days, you know, the human brain is, 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 is hardwired to, to process sight, sound, and motion, and drive us to action. Okay, so leading to today, um, you know, approximately approximately uh, 14% or less of all TV ads are actually being watched now. So now think, think about that in the context of the types of challenges that represents for uh, the big consumer companies. Okay, you, got, you have a $75 billion TV advertising category where according to you know, polling um, from people like Roper, less than 14% of all TV ads are actually being engaged, and statistically it's much worse the younger the audience. So that means if you are a big consumer company and you don't want to just be price, 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 discount, coupon, and you're trying to reach these millennial consumers, you have a big challenge. You have a challenge that you've never, ever been confronted with before, okay? And that, that means these young people are not engaging with your TV ads, and it's forcing you further and further into price discounting and couponing and competing with private labels, et cetera. Now what's happened, okay, you know, along came the Internet, of course, you know, and online advertising, you know, uh, banner ads, display ads, et cetera, a lot of video there. Okay, here's the stats on that, which when we speak at university, uh, some of our stats are, you know, pretty edgy, um, you know, this, let's say this $35 billion category in the U.S., which we call, you know, kind of online advertising, you know, banner ads, display ads, et cetera, according to CompScore, 54% uh, or greater of all the interactions, the ad interactions may be non-human, okay, robotic, ghost ads, et cetera, big problem. It's one of the only uh, industries I've ever heard of where, you know, you can kind of be engaged in organized crime, fraud. You know, this is called ad fraud in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, so forth. You can be engaged in really what is, is fraud, but nobody goes to prison. That's kind of an interesting uh, set of dynamics there. So um, now this is changing as well. But if you add this up so far of $190 billion advertising category, $75 billion of which is TV, another $35 billion of which is online, Okay, you're up to like 110 billion, which is coming unraveled in terms of its effectiveness. And this is translating into some major financial problems for a lot of the big consumer companies, which we all see in the Wall Street Journal every week, uh, you know, are kind of a, trying to address this non-growth problem 
you know, largely driven by ineffective ROI from their marketing spend. They're trying to address the non-growth problem by slash and burn, slash and burn, headcount reduction, merger acquisition, et cetera. Okay, now we are trying very hard here with DigiBridge to get in the middle of this and to help out. So we, we know one thing. Now, the consumer is saying loud and clear that they are resisting all forms of intrusive, interruptive advertising. Uh, and, in fact, this is so acute that people in the European Union right now, which is a little bit ahead of us in many technological ways, uh, they're, they're predicting that intrusive, interruptive advertising itself could become extinct. Okay. Now, evidence of that thus far in the U.S.? Okay. In the last 12 months, 68 million U.S. consumers have downloaded ad-blocking software, okay, which will effectively block any form of intrusive, interruptive advertising that reaches them without their authorization and permission. That, that's, that's a big watershed development. We all know what's happening in terms of, you know, pay TV, et cetera, you know, uh, and, and the consumer's, con, you know, continued kind of cord cutting there. Um, so what we have launched is something we refer to as the marketing Internet of Everything. Okay, the, we transform physical world touch points, which are not going to go away, okay, real physical world touch points into highly engaging opt-in interactive mobile video experiences for consumers or B2B marketers, um, and we pull back an extraordinary depth of instant analytics, intellectual property, and we and we provide these analytics to agencies and uh, and direct. Um, so that is that is really what we do. This marketing internet of all things. How do I define um, physical world touch points? When, when you stop and think about it, anything that the consumers' eyeballs make contact with in their daily lives, okay, in a non-intrusive manner. This can be I'm watching a ball game in, you know, Fenway Park, and there's 40,000 people in the stands, and none of the signs are interactive. Well, they should be. Our platform, they will be, okay? I'm in the mall, okay, and, you know, there's, you know, 1.3 billion shoppers go through Simon Malls every year, and for the most part, the signage and touch points are really not interactive. Okay, in-store displays. Okay, a lot of my background is, you know, kind of digital shopper marketing. But you think of you go into, you know, Dick's Sporting Goods, and you would like to buy a pair of Nike running shoes. I'm a runner. So I go in Saturday morning. It's really crowded. There's nobody to talk to. And I'd like to have information on Nike running shoes as to why the $149 pair of shoes is better technologically than the $89 pair. There's not one word on the shelf that gives me any clue technologically why the $149 pair of running shoes is better than the $89 pair. And for the most part, there's really no one to talk to. This is a major problem. Now, in the absence of future benefit-based reasons to buy, uh, psychologically, the consumer will default to price. That is exactly what's happening in category after category after category. And if you think of these higher price point um, categories, whether it's electronics or, you know, I could go through, you know, apparel, I can go through, you know. John, we're getting a, 
John, we're getting ahead a little bit. I, I think I know where you're going, but uh, we're talking with John, um, uh, John Larson. He's head of a, a very interesting company called D Didge Bridge. But I have a question. If I understand you correctly, let me see if I can um, uh, parrot it back to make sure I'm following you. <laughs> you, ha I have a mobile phone. I pass uh, some point. Uh, you're inside a, 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 a sneakers, what we call sneakers, I guess they're running shoes store, and you want information, you can literally do it interactively right there. Is, is that what you're uh, saying? Yes, that's correct. Um, any physical world touch point in a store, in a mall, if IBM or Accenture is advertising in O'Hare Airport and hundreds of thousands of people are walking past their signs in, you know, terminal number one every week, nothing is currently interactive. There's no way to effectively ROI measure the money that's being spent. Yankee Stadium, the signs in Yankee Stadium, okay, the sponsorships in arenas that financial service companies and insurance companies are spending millions of dollars a year for naming rights. None of it is interactive. And thousands and millions of people are staring at these touch points on a daily and weekly basis. That's what we do. We convert those non-intrusively, and I, I, I'm reluctant to go into how our intellectual property works, but I will, I will tell the audience, we don't use QR codes, we don't use beacons, we don't use near field, we don't require any apps to be downloaded, and any consumer that has a smartphone in their hand can engage with this immediately and enjoy interactive mobile video content from that touch point and the advertiser and marketer gets back immediately a wealth of data id data you know lead generation data on that individual that's our intellectual property well this is fascinating but let me ask you a question do I have to download something from you in order to participate, or is it automatic whenever my phone comes in contact? Any consumer possessing a smartphone knows how to do this already. Okay, there's no apps to be downloaded, particularly the millennials. They're doing this every day. This is fascinating. Please go on, uh, John. Yeah. Yeah, we have, um, I will, you know, we do have a joint marketing agreement uh, with Microsoft. Um, as a matter of fact, if, if uh, folks would like a little bit more information about this, uh, you could, if though, you know, folks have a pen in their hand, please jot down the following. Text DB video. David Boy video to five 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 eight eight eight. Okay, you're going to get a URL link back immediately on your mobile phone. Um, you click on the URL link. You're going to go into our Microsoft Azure cloud. 
and you're going to enjoy a mobile video experience. We do produce digital motion graphics uh, mobile videos as well. It will give you an overview of our service offering, a little bit more of how it works. Um, you will also get four case studies from clients of ours, including Procter & Gamble, SAP, a mall fashion retailer called Merle Norman, another high-end um, multicultural fashion brand called Ashro. That's very cool. Um, and you'll also a press release that has been issued recently about our platform um, for the news. If you, if you go into the news, you'll see a press release that will tell you a lot more about our cloud platform. Can you repeat that um, uh, a link that you just said, please? Yep. Yes, it's D as in David, B as in boy, video. You text that phrase to 555-888. And that will give the listeners who do this a much more complete understanding of our platform and the, the challenges that we address within the marketplace. Well, how can a, I uh, have one last question. How, how can a small business take advantage of your offerings? Any, we work with very small businesses, including nonprofits. It, 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 because it is a, it's a software platform that's highly automated. It's, you know, it's designed to be usable by, you know, within, within reason with, with really any budget. Um, I mean, we work with real estate agents as an example. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, we work with nonprofits that have, you know, very small budgets. We've worked with churches, um, and then, you know, all the way up to Procter and Gamble. Um, but it's highly flexible, it, and it's uh, fr from a lead generation perspective, a small business person that's struggling with how to effectively generate leads. We have a number of, you know, they may be in the insurance sector, financial service sector, um, you know, other service sectors, and they go to networking events, chamber of commerce events. They're struggling. They speak at events. They're struggling to get leads. Uh, they're, they're frustrated with Google AdWords um, and the amount of money they're spending there with, without any real audit tapes back on real human beings. Um, we're really good at helping small businesses with, uh, with lead generation in a very, very, you know, budget-friendly uh, manner. Well, John... Thank you. You you open the door. We have another guest lined up, but, but we're going to invite you back to, to talk further about this, John, because it's fascinating. Thank yeah, you. Well, hey, I really appreciate uh, your time and, uh, you know, appreciate everyone in the audience listening. So I uh, look forward to keeping in touch. Oh, that, uh, very definitely. You, you seem to have something that's very fascinating. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for sharing it with your people. All right. Thanks. Hmm. On my desk is one of the most fascinating books I've run across in a long time. We, we invited Beverly Langford, author and coach, 
to come in and talk about our book, The Etiquette Edge. Beverly, welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you very much. Well, no, thank you. Um, uh, you. I'm of the older generation where etiquette was important, but seems less so. But before we get into the book or anything else, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, personally, and then we'll, we'll get to talk about this fascinating subject. Well, I've, I've always been, uh, since uh, during my educational background, I've always been interested in human interaction. Uh, I teach strategic communication in the MBA program at Georgia State University, which is a downtown campus in Atlanta. And I also do a lot of consulting and coaching in the area of, of interpersonal relations and, and just being a better communicator. You know, it's, it's amazing that we communicate as well as we do because there are so many barriers to communication. And a lot of times the, the, some of the devices that, that should encourage us to communicate actually can get in the way in the long run, uh, not always, of course. So uh, I've, as I've, I've just observed people through the years, and you mentioned that, that etiquette has changed, but, but etiquette should change. It should change with the times. Uh, etiquette is, shouldn't be a, a, a group of, of rules and regulations that are just there because they're there. Uh, they should be common sense practices that allow us to behave appropriately and to get along with each other in a in a more productive way, you know the the, the origin of the word uh, from the research I've done uh, it used to mean it came from an old French word that was I believe estique, which meant ticket or billet, and what it meant is that you were a reliable person. That it was a voucher that said that that people didn't have to be afraid of you. That people could interact with you. And so I, I like the, the idea of the ticket because tickets either get you in the door or if you don't have one, they keep you out. And, and that's really what knowing how to be, behave appropriately does for you. Well, uh, tell us, the so that, uh, that's the basic theme of, of your book. But, but tell us, um, I, I guess, what are some of the key findings that you recommend to your people that uh, that we, that we should learn? Well, as I said, for one thing, uh, a lot of times in today's world, we sometimes think of of courtesy as somehow putting yourself in a one down position. That it's almost subservient if you give way to someone else, or you you don't don't push yourself ahead and assert yourself. And, and, and courtesy or etiquette doesn't mean that at all. You, you, you respect other people, but you also take care of yourself at, at the same time. And, and I think that, that we have a lot of, of, of principles in our society that say we ought to pay attention to how we would like to be treated in various circumstances and, and use that when we are dealing with other people. So I think fundamentally it's a matter of of trying to to put yourself in the other person's position when you're interacting with them and and realizing that that it takes a lot more energy to be rude than it is to be courteous and to and to, to interact effectively. Well, you know, you know, um, a lot of thoughts are running through my mind, but to me, 
to, to me, etiquette has always been uh, you're respectful of the other person. But it seems to me in, in this world that we live in now, the, 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 that's gone out the window. Um, when I was younger, it was who uh, uh, whose secretary uh, got the other person on first. But in today's world, it's like uh, almost everything is a battle. And if you give way, you, uh, you seem to have lost. But you're saying I'm that shouldn't be the case. Right. And, and I agree with that. And, and, I'm, you know, I think there are a lot of reasons for that. You know, there uh, in times past, People were more stable in where they lived. You 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 were born in in a town, and often you lived there all your life, and and you died there. And you the way you behaved reflected not only on you but on your family and your extended family. And today, uh, particularly in our big cities, there's so much anonymity that you know. Okay, if I was rude to that person, I'm never going to see that person again as long as I live. So what does it matter? And I think Mm -hmm. some of that has created this feeling that we don't need to to, to go out of our way to be courteous. But I find that that there are great benefits from doing that, whether it's a a grumpy clerk at the checkout counter or whether it's someone at the airport uh, who's tired and stressed and has had a long day. Usually by, by interacting with that person in a positive way, you can see another side of the individual. Usually people re- respond to a kind word or just a positive attitude. Well, you're right about that. But uh, uh, my favorite line, uh, uh, it, it seems to me that uh, uh, many bureaucrats uh, are uh, little people who want to tyrannize uh, those that, that need their help. Um, I, I see that more and more in our civil service, more and more in, in various things. Um, do you deal with that, or is that uh, beyond the scope of what we should be discussing? Because I found well, your book fascinating. Well, well thank you. But I, I find that, that it, really, it really doesn't matter what, what profession you're in or, or where you are. Uh, we all get stressed. We all have issues, both professional and personal. And sometimes those things spill over into our into our dealings with other people. Uh, sometimes it's hard to compartmentalize. You know, you 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 have a, a bad interaction with one person, and it puts you in a bad mood with everybody else you deal with that day. And it's not easy as human beings for us to put those things aside and move on. But sometimes just knowing what we need to be doing can be the first step. You know, I always believe in the principle that that leadership of any kind, and I'm talking about you don't have to have a title to to exercise leadership. Leadership begins with self-awareness. And the more we understand ourselves and the more we we hold ourselves accountable, then it just makes it a lot easier for our social interaction and our relationship management to be affected in a positive way. Well, that's interesting. Uh, please continue. Uh, um, I, ha- I have a differing view. Um, uh, I'm older, I think, than you. Um, uh, what I've just seen is um, the lack of... Um, a courtesy in Americans today. I don't care who they are uh, or where you go, 
particularly at a restaurant or in a theater or something, they, they don't seem concerned with the other person. I think you're right. And I, I think, as I said, one of the reasons I believe that it happens is this matter of anonymity. We don't know each other. We don't have relationships the way we did at one point in our in our society. Uh, and, and, and a lack of courtesy when it comes right down to it is selfishness. If if you are are not concerned about the needs or the well-being of the other person, then it's very easy for you to be discourteous. And hmm. it seems to me that it's a uh, at 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 its base, it's a self-centeredness that that we have developed. You know, we we live in a very individualistic society, meaning that we we want to stand out in the crowd. We we value uh, the the people who get noticed, and we believe uh, more in talking than listening. We, we think the person talking has the power, and and so for those reasons, that that focuses us on ourselves. And and any time you focus primarily on yourself, something's got to give, and usually it's going to be the needs and the well-being of the other person. And lack of consideration or lack of courtesy or whatever you call it, is, 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 is that, that's the heart of it, is your needs, what you want, is more important than what somebody else needs or wants. And sometimes that even comes, in my opinion, I'm not a psychologist, but sometimes that comes from insecurity, that I don't feel very good about myself, and so that's going to play out in the way that, that I deal with, with other people as well. So there are, there are a multitude of reasons why people can be discourteous, but it, it, I think the problem is that there's, there's really no accountability for being discourteous. It, it, it seems to be something that's more and more accepted, even though I have seen over and over that that people who know how how to behave appropriately, people who are courteous, usually build up credibility and get ahead in the long run. So the person who takes a little time to be courteous usually benefits from it. It's not that that you go around feeling like, oh, I'm just a doormat because I'm I'm trying to be nice to everybody. And I think sometimes courtesy is misread as that. But it's I'm going to put myself in a situation where I come across as as mature and rational and professional, and you stand out in the crowd for doing that. Well, well your book. Um, now that we've identified the problem, and, and you've done a wonderful job at that, how does one um, uh, deal with it? And what are some of the tips that you you give in your book? Well, let me just tell you, uh, mention a little bit about how the book's arranged, and then if there's anything, any tips and techniques that I can share with you that you're particularly interested in, I'll be happy to. The book is made up of, of, of chapters that are all standalones. I call it an airplane book. You can, you can read a chapter on the airplane before you fall asleep, and you don't have to read the book from end to end. The, the opening kind of sets the, 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 the stage for what yes. the book's about. But the, there are various topics, and each chapter is, stands on its own. You know, there's a chapter, for example, how do you handle a situation when your best friend becomes your boss? Uh, how do you leave a job without burning bridges? 
how uh, there's a chapter on improving your your gratitude attitude. How do you say thank you to people? How do you make sure that you show that you appreciate what people do for you? There's a chapter on how to how to apologize without coming across as as being weak. How how could how can you complain if you get bad service? You were talking about the the restaurant. How can you complain without sounding like a whiner? And the way things are arranged is that it sets the situation, talks about the problem, and then gives uh, just a few guidelines about what you might do about that. I've, I've got a chapter well, called Yes, sir, go ahead. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. That's what I loved about your book. But just uh, give our audience a taste of, of your book, which, by the way, is called The Etiquette, the Etiquette Edge, and, and it's by Beverly Langford. Uh, it's a fascinating book. So please uh, just give us one example. Okay, uh, well, that. let's and, talk about uh, let's talk about working together in in an office. You know, people used to have uh, separate offices, and they could close their doors, and and that's no longer the case. And so, uh, how can you become a, a considerate colleague in in a world of cubicles, for example? And there's several things that you can do. Uh, in fact, uh, most people complain about about uh, irritations in the office. The two that always get the most the, the the most press, I guess you'd say, are are smells and noise. Uh, they either people fix uh, their fish sticks in the microwave in the break room and it permeates the whole office, or they are very loud. They're in a cubicle and they have an extremely loud voice, or they have a particular irritating laugh. And and so when when you're in a, an open office like that, uh, some tips that you can 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 uh, work from are are first of all is to is to keep your own space very professional. Uh, you don't want anything in your hanging on the walls of your cubicle that that would offend someone else. Uh, it, I know this sounds really basic, but but make sure that you practice healthy hygiene. You're going to be in close quarters. You're going to be around people a lot, and and you need to to always be well groomed and 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 uh, not be offending in any way. And that sometimes can be uh, an overdose of perfume or too much aftershave. Uh, in in a cubicle or world, up. even yes, sir. Well, can I interrupt you, Beverly, and, and ask you a question? No, no, you, you. Oh, um, uh, our guest hung up. Our next guest hung up. She keeps hanging up. Uh, I don't know why. I, I know she's in the queue. Uh, but I, I'd like to. How do you handle? Uh, um, um, how do you handle someone who really smells? The, um, as if they hadn't bathed in two weeks. Well, that's one of the most difficult things you can have. In some cases, you, you just can't. Uh, sometime in a large company, HR will take care of that. Uh, you know, I've heard all these things like giving somebody a bar of soap. I, I don't really go along with something like that. Uh, no. But, but uh, in, in most cases, that's such a personal thing. It's very difficult to handle it unless you know the person extremely well. If you've got a good relationship with the person, certainly it's it's causing problems for them. Uh, then you could have perhaps a very private conversation with them. But it's risky. It's uh, it's it's that's why it's better if 
we just go over on the other side of the coin and say everybody in the office needs to make sure that, that he or she is practicing healthy hygiene. Well, it's it's just the fascinating. Well, we we've noticed uh, something. I won't. There's a famous uh, computer store, in which we unfortunately have had to work come back to um, several times in the past couple of weeks, only to discover that most of its uh, people, uh, salespeople on the floor, smell terribly, and uh, it's been a very trying situation. So much so that I wrote to the uh, uh, to president of the company about it. Uh, so anyway. Um, but when you're working uh, uh, with people every day, uh, that's a very difficult thing to try to, to try to address. Mm, I, I wish I had absolutely. a great pat answer, but unfortunately I don't. You are a great interview. And I want to know if you want to stay on. We have one of the most interesting guests I've had in a long time, uh, as our next guest, but, and, and, uh, I'm not going to say any more than that, but I would like you to stay on uh, and uh, comment if you see if you hear something if if you have well, the I'd time. Well, I'd like to hear it. About how long will it will it last? Uh, no, but we we're all off by twelve o'clock. Okay. Well, I would love to hear some of it. Uh, that would be that would be delightful. And thank you very much for having me. And I'm no, delighted no. that you like the book. Oh, I love it. We're we're talking with Beverly Langford. She's the um, author of The Etiquette Edge, which you've got to read. And our next guest, I'm just now uh, making her live, is Trish Oliphant. She is the owner of a hatchet throwing business. When I saw this, I had to have her on the program. Trish, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Uh, uh, Trish, uh, you're on with Beverly Langford, uh, an etiquette. But um, I, I, I was just shocked. As far as I can determine, you said um, uh, your representative said, as far as you could determine, you were the only uh, hatchet uh, throwing uh, uh, establishment in America. And I haven't found another one. But uh, um, the first question we always ask a little bit about yourself personally before we do anything else. Trish, sure. tell us a more. A Go ahead. Sure. Uh, well, Stumpy's Hatchet House, which is located in Eatontown, New Jersey, uh, we've only been open for just about five months now. Um, I have partners. One is my husband, Mark Oliphant, and uh, partners Kelly and Stu Jossberger. Uh, we all have very varied backgrounds. My background is mostly in retail. I work for Ralph Lauren. Um, just shy of 20 years, and left Ralph Lauren to open up Stumpy's Hatchet House. Okay, and now tell, tell us exactly what the business does. Yeah, sure. Um, the business grew out of literally out of our backyard um, from a passion that we all had of throwing hatchets, and it kind of derived from one night after dinner. Um, the guys were sitting around a chimney in the backyard after. Uh, finishing dinner, they were chopping up wood for the chimney, making the fire way too big. And us wives stepped in and said, no, no, like do something else. So they started throwing the hatchet they were using to chop the firewood with at a dead tree that had come down in Hurricane Sandy. Um, us girls were like, that looks like fun. We want to join in. We started doing it. 
Next night, we went back. We did it again. My husband, who is a retired union carpenter, built us a big target um, that he brought over to their house the next day. And um, throughout that week, the neighbors all started coming over because um, they wanted to see what all the hooting and hollering was about. You'd play a game of hatchets just like you would a game of darts. Um, then we just kind of all talked. We stopped and thought about it. And we thought there was a real need for an alternative form of recreation, something different, something adventurous. Um, we're hoping that this is the new bowling, uh, so to speak. So that's how it came about. Um, we all took kind of a leap of faith and decided to open Stumpy's Hatchet House. So we started looking for a location. Um, seeking out um, a location was difficult because not everybody that has a venue or a place to rent wanted to take in a hatchet throwing venue like ours because we are the first and only in the United States. They had nothing to compare it to. But uh, we did find an awesome place. It's an old warehouse space, so it has high ceilings. And um, we created an atmosphere that's very has a very Pacific Northwest feel to it. And um, it's relaxing. Our throwing pits are flanked with tall timbers. Um, uh, we were able to, to entertain all of our customers' senses with a casual urban feel. And we have a lot of repurposed wood and items in the Hatchet House. And it's just a place that people seem to like to hang out and, most of all, like to come try their hand at some hatchet throwing. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, to me, um, the, the thought that came to mind was burying the hatchet. And you do that when you make peace, which is one of the reasons why I asked our, our prior guest to stay on. But I... Um, but, but my wife, who, who's a Harvard MBA, her first question is, how did you get insurance for, for such a relatively dangerous uh, place? Okay, it sounds, pardon the pun, but it sounds a lot edgier than it actually is. And I think all of our customers feel very safe while doing it. We've taken every safety precaution necessary or that we felt necessary. So we did write a safety manual before applying to the insurance company. But think of it as there are archery ranges, there are gun ranges, there, there are indoor um, knife throwing um, facilities. So we're a form of indoor recreation. So that's what we fall under as for our insurance reasons. So with indoor recreation, I actually feel that it's safer than playing darts at a bar because sometimes when you're playing darts at a bar, there's not an actual area for it. It might be between the bar and the bathrooms, and people might not even know people are playing darts and walk through that line of fire. In Stumpy Catchet House, there are designated pits. Um, we have our customers all come in. When they come in, they sign a waiver of liability, and then we go over the house safety rules with them. And pretty much no one has thrown hatchets before unless they've done it at a Renaissance fair or maybe around a campfire. So the great thing about the Hatchet House is everybody pretty much comes in on a level playing field. So everybody learns together. So once we go over the house rules and the waiver is signed, we assign you a throwing coach. And our throwing coach will um, demonstrate how to throw a hatchet and then watch every single one of our patrons actually throw a hatchet until they get it right and then stay with you throughout your hatchet throwing experience. 
um, and maybe touch base from here, here and there, like, you know, just guide you through some hatchet throwing games once you get the hang of it. Mm. Beverly, what do you think of all this? I'm fascinated by it. I had a couple of questions, if I can ask yeah. one. About how yeah, much Beverly. does, about, how are you? Good morning. Uh, about, about how much does one weigh a typical, I mean, I've, I've sure. certainly used a hatchet before, but I was thinking about uh, what the ones that you use for throwing, what's the, what's the typical weight? Sure. The hatchets we use are actually, they're not weapons. They're actually tools. So a hatchet, like we use at the hatchet house, can be purchased in any general hardware store or Home Depot or big box Lowe's store. Mm-hmm. Um, the hatchets we use, like I said, are camping hatchets. They're not a weapon. You don't have to be of a certain age to buy one. They weigh one and a quarter pounds a piece. Oh, and it's okay. not, by their very nature, they're not extremely sharp. They're sharp enough to sink into the target, but they're not razor sharp. That It's actually the motion or the, um, once you throw the hatchet, the revolutions of the hatchet that actually put it into the target. So it has nothing to do with strength. It has everything to do with technique. So uh, how large everybody is, has to find their own technique. How large is how the large? target typically? Uh, the targets, yeah, they're all the same. They're about three feet by four feet um, boards of Douglas fir that are um, kind of um, put together on a frame with a big regular bullseye in the middle of it. Okay. And you, you, you hurl the hatchet, which is one and a quarter pounds. It's 12 feet from the um, line where you stand to get the hatchet to the target. It's a 12-foot throwing range from the safety line. Okay, thank you. Great. You're welcome. Hmm. Uh, it, uh, it's fair. One of the things I saw, do you have many divorce parties? I saw that as well. Uh, <laughs> ah, yeah. We have all kinds of parties. So we have um, bachelor, bachelorette parties. We have been doing a lot of corporate team building. It's a great corporate event. We also have divorce breakup parties, otherwise known as ask your ex parties. Um, a new party <laughs> for us is a baby gender reveal party. So um, a lot of couples um, that are expecting go to their doctor, get the results from their doctor uh, of the baby's gender, and the doctor puts it in an envelope, and some of these couples are bringing them to bakeries, and they have the baby gender reveal parties where they cut the cake, and if it's pink inside, they're having a little girl. If it's blue, they're having a boy. We have a little bit of a different slant on that. We ask you to bring that envelope to us, and we fill a black balloon up with either blue confetti or pink confetti, and then we attach that balloon to the middle of a target right at the bullseye, and the mom and dad um, can throw a hatchet at the balloon, and when the balloon pops, um, you know whether you're having a lumberjack or a lumberjill. <laughs> Something different. Um, that is fascinating. So uh, now you're, you're in business a few months. Uh, mm-hmm. What are your plans? What is your hope? Our hope is we're looking into franchising possibilities at this time, and we're also looking into a second location right now. Um, it's been wildly successful for us. Uh, I have to say that everybody comes, they're pretty excited to come and be there. Uh, a lot of people, we've had people on dates bring a date that didn't, the date did not know where they were going. It was a surprise, and they bring them to a hatchet house, out of the box, different, exciting, it's adventurous. 
Um, we think it's, it's primitive, organic, and adventurous all at the same time. And it, it does, um, it's good for someone who seeks a, someone who seeks a release. So, um, you, you get to let it go at the hatchet house. So yes, mm. we are thinking, um, in the terms of franchising. And where are you located? This is a national sure. uh, show, but uh, uh, where are you located? We're at the Jersey Shore. We're located right in the middle of New Jersey at the shore in a town called Eatontown, New Jersey. Um, and it, it's a shore town, so we do have a lot of shore business right now, but we have all four seasons here at the Jersey Shore. We're looking forward to a really successful fall season right now. We have a lot of Corporate team building bookings, bachelor party and bachelorette bookings already on the books into February at this point. Well, you you were with the same company for 20 years, and now you've made the transition to being an entrepreneur. What have you learned yeah. from it, and what would you pass, pass on to uh, other people? I would pass on follow your passion if you truly believe in something and you have a passion for it. How could you go wrong? I go to work every day loving, absolutely loving what I do. And I'm so excited to show people what we have and what we've, what we've kind of invented. It's, it's really exciting. So I feel so fulfilled. Um, the, the design part of me that um, when I worked for another company, the creative side of me, um, I felt was a little stifled at one time. And now we do have merchandise. We sell T-shirts with things like ask me what, what I did last night on the back of it or hottest piece of ass. We have um, pint, we sell pint glasses, keychains, T-shirts, hats, sweatshirts. So I still have a little bit of retail left in me that I'm able to bring out at Stumpy Patchett House. Beverly, what do you think of uh, of Trisha's passion and her cell and everything, her whole persona, but, um, credibility? Ab- it's- I'm absolutely fascinated by your creativity, Trish. That's that's amazing, and uh, just the different ways. You know, I, my my first thought was okay. Uh, when you first started talking about it, I kept thinking, okay, so you throw a hatchet a few times and you get kind of good at it, then what? But you've come up with all these extremely innovative ways to use this and to I- I- expand your business. Uh, I just wish you the very best. It sounds like it's, oh. it's going to be a, a, a real success, and, and I'm amazed at all the great ideas you've come up with in such a short time. Oh, thank you, Beverly. Well, when you come to the Hatchet House, and we'd love you to come and visit, um, the, the atmosphere is awesome. Our biggest problem is getting people to leave once they're done with their two-hour <laughs> session. Um, we do ask um, and invite people to, well, we have a bunch of menus available, and they could have takeout food brought into the Hatchet House. We have big farm tables available and seating areas with sofas where they can sit back and relax. We also have a giant Jenga and small Jengas scattered throughout the Hatchet House, and we have awesome music playing, so we have a really good sound system in the Hatchet House. So that sounds like a great party place. It is. It's, it's, it's a party every day at the Hatchet House. It really is. <laughs> well, Beverly and Trish, thank you for making um uh, this time uh, very in- interesting and interactive uh, beverly tell us again your book and how people can get it 
uh, the name of the book is The Etiquette Edge, Modern Manners for Business Success. And it's published by Amacom Publishing out of New York. And it's it's available online and in bookstores at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and so forth. It's a paperback book, so it's it's a it's it's very cost effective for you to purchase. Oh, oh by the way, um, you are the best advertisement for it because you're extremely credible, and oh, you come you. across terrifically. Well, and thank and you so much for, for inviting me to stay to listen to Trish. That was great. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked some good questions. See, the, the idea is for me to talk less and guests to talk more. <laughs> um, uh, Tr Trish, again, uh, Eaton, I know where Eaton Town is. Um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to try sometime to come down and see you at your place. But tell us again how, um, the address and do you have a website? Sure, we have a website. It's stumpieshh.com. We also have a Facebook page, uh, Instagram page. Uh, we do Snapchat and Twitter. Um, they could also reach us at stumpieshh at gmail.com, um, or where our address is actually 22 Meridian Road, Unit 5 in Eatontown, New Jersey. Well, can you spell out Stumpies? Spell out the sure. Uh, website. Sure. It's Stumpies, S-T-U-M-P-Y-S-H-H dot com. Okay. Well, ladies, both of you, thank you for, uh, I think, a very enjoyable uh, uh, time of, uh, about learning uh, something uh, about how to deal with people, which I did reading your book, Beverly, and uh, Congratulations on being the only axe place in the United States. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Come Thanks bury very the much. hatchet anytime at Stumpy's. Thank you, Beverly. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your